In light of that, I'd like to, as we come to the scripture, turn to the Lord once more in prayer and ask as we enter this time that he would be with us. Um, Lord God, you promise that you will be our portion and our shield. And so as we turn to your word, uh, we pray that you would give light to our eyes, give understanding to our ears, help us to understand and to be transformed by the renewing of our minds as we seek to know how to respond to your word as it's embedded in our lives. And so we're thankful for this opportunity and pray that you'd be with us as we turn to the scriptures now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Last week, uh, we introduced a, a brief series that we're doing over the course of the next few weeks on a pretty familiar parable, the parable of the sower or the parable of the four soils. And so we're going to do one soil each week. And some people may be wondering why spend so much time on one parable. I think as I've reflected on it and as we're reflecting on it, we'll see that um, it may be easy to understand what the parable means, but a little bit challenging to actually reflect on how it impacts our own lives. And so I'd invite you to hear fresh the word of God from uh, the Gospels. The parable of the sower is found in each one of the Gospels. So last week we did the Matthew version. This week we'll do the Mark version. Okay, Mark 4. Um, and I'm going to read just verses 13 through 20. It's a little bit longer, um, but you can go back and read the other parts later if it's helpful. Then Jesus said to them, Don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop 30, 60, or even a hundred times what was sown. Mm. Amen. So a reminder of the four, four soils, there's the hard path, the rocky soil where we're going to spend time this week, the thorny soil where we'll spend time next week, and then finally, we'll, eventually there'll be good news. Okay, we'll get to the good soil and talk about what that looks like. Uh, as I was thinking about um, each of these soils and how the word is sown the same way into each one, but there's a different response, I was reminded of a family show that, that's... Um, uh, not, not a family show, a television show that my family has watched sometimes um, that's been good for us as our kids have gotten a little bit older. It's called Friday Night Lights, um, which some may be familiar with. It's about um, a football coach and his wife, who's an administrator in the school uh, in Texas, and it's the way that their, um, I don't want to say ministry, but the way that they impact the lives of students and the way that this, the different students in the school um, their lives play out. And it's a, it's a very well-told story over the course of, I think it's five or six seasons. 
But what's interesting to me is the coach is very consistent in what he teaches and the way that he coaches, but each one of the, the athletes on the team responds very differently to the program, to the way that it's set up. And he's a very good coach, both in life and in football. And you can see how each one of them represents a kind of a different soil. So based on the circumstances of life or their own heart and their internal composition, they respond very differently. Some of them become great, successful athletes and, 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 and well-liked in life. They're, good, they're men of good character as they go through. Others really struggle and end up falling away from the team, and it's sort of a metaphor for life. They fall away from life, too. And then some of them, thankfully, they fall away. They make really bad decisions, as you can imagine, as high school students often do. Um, but there's a restoration that comes around uh, in the end. And so it's kind of been a, a longer parable for me that's very similar to this one based on how, we, um, how the soil of our hearts is prepared. We respond differently when a good word is sown in our hearts. And this is true for uh, people in Friday Night Lights. It's also true for Christians, too. Uh, and this is Jesus' point in the parable, that um, for his disciples, they needed to understand not everybody is going to react the same way. Uh, that coach on Friday Night Lights would love it if all the players responded and were great players. Um, but it's not the case. So there will always be people that when they hear the word of God and when you interact with them around the Christian faith, they will not receive the word uh, as well as you would want them to. So the disciples needed to know that. It was for them to evaluate the faith of people around them, for sure. But it was also, there's an internal component, as we talked about last week. Um, it's not only other people who have hard hearts. All of us have hardened our hearts to God in one way or another over the course of our lives. And so there's an internal reflectiveness that's required when you look at the parable of the sower. He's challenging his followers to consider what is your own response to the word of God yourself? What's the condition of your soil? Okay? And as we uh, look at this week and next week particularly, I think we're going to see probably ourselves in the rocky soil and in the thorny soil more so than maybe in the other ones. That's how I experienced this parable myself. So I pay close attention um, when I read these. So I want to just read the... Um, the part we're talking about this week once more, the rocky soil in verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now when Jesus talks about persecution and trouble... I think, again, he has his disciples and the people who have heard his message then in mind particularly, um, because many of them will disappear. We talked about that a little bit last week, that when he's arrested and crucified, his followers scatter pretty quickly. Um, and if you look at the early church and the experience of early Christians after Jesus' resurrection and he, and he was ascended to heaven, and so he left the disciples behind to carry the word and they went to different cities, and they went to different countries in the years that followed, if you look at the life of Christians in the early church, persecution was kind of the way that they experienced what it meant to be a Christian. To be a Christian then meant to leave your faith of origin, whatever your belief system was, you were converted to Christianity for the most part. 
Um, and that sometimes also meant leaving your family, and it meant leaving community ties behind. So most early Christians lost their status in the community. Sometimes they lost economic realities. Their business might suffer if they adopted a different faith than what was normal around them. Uh, certainly most of them experienced mockery and embarrassment because of what they believed, so they would have been looked at as odd for converting to this strange faith where you eat the body and drink the blood of the person who founded the faith. What is that? This is the kind of thing that early on, we take those things when we celebrate communion, we'll do that next week, we take it as ordinary and normal. For them, uh, to be a Christian meant to be other, and it was a very challenging thing to do. And so that kind of trouble and persecution clarified commitment. Only real believers with deep-rooted faith in Jesus Christ adopted the Christian faith then, right? This is still the case in many parts of the world. So persecution existed then. Persecution still exists in significant ways uh, now, and we've talked about this along the way in different sermons, but I, I have another story I'll just share recently from a, an organization called Voice of the Martyrs that kind of tells the story of Christians from around the world who face real physical persecution. So I read one recently about a young man named Sejun. Uh, he's from Nepal, and his parents, when he was a young child, sent him to a Buddhist monastery to be trained to be a Buddhist monk. And while he was there, um, he suffered horrible abuse um, and ended up running away from the monastery uh, to come back home. And so his parents, when he got home, they enrolled him in school, and, and he struggled in his younger years um, to kind of find a place and, and from the trauma that he'd experienced. Well, as in the school, he ended up meeting somebody who was a Christian, and they shared the Christian faith with him and gave him a Bible. And over the course of the couple of years, he started reading the Bible and understanding a couple things particularly about the Christian faith. The love of God, no matter what, and then forgiveness. So the grace that comes. He had heard about sin in, the, in his upbringing, but he had not heard about grace and forgiveness. And so the mercy of God and the love of God that he read about and heard about from Christians um, transformed his life, and he gave his life to Christ. Um, it was not easy for him, though, because at home he received a lot of resistance to this newfound faith that he had. And one day he was reading his Bible, and apparently his brother came and started beating him with a tent pole. Um, because they had told him not to read the Bible anymore, and he kept doing it. And so he ended up running, he, having to leave home, and he ended up in a, a youth home where he is, where he is now leading Bible studies and wants to go to school to become a teacher of the Christian faith to be able to tell more, tell more people about the gospel. So that's a, I mean, that's a current, that's like this year example of somebody who faces persecution, and their faith is deepened by it and clarified by it, Right? So when your faith in Jesus could get you beaten or kicked out of your family um, or you lose your job or there's real world impact, then being a Christian takes on a, I mean, it takes on a different form when that's the case for you, right? I mean, he, he had a choice. He could have not adopted that Christian faith and kept, kept it to himself. He could have hidden it, but he chose to stand. That's a deeply rooted faith. I think that American Christians have a particular challenge around this kind of faith and this kind of soil because we, as a whole, have not faced much trouble for our faith. Um, certainly, we rarely would use the word persecution 
to describe the way we've been treated because of our faith in Christ. And that's because the United States of America has been, for nearly, really since its inception, a culturally Christian country. Where, and let me describe what I mean by that, because I know that there are lots of different opinions about this. What I mean by that is that most of, or the majority of people who are in leadership in our country, and, and for many years, most of our country has claimed Christianity as their faith of origin, where even if they, if an individual person may not necessarily believe all the tenets of the faith or even understand them, they would say, well, my parents are Christian or my grandparents are Christian or I'm connected to that church or, you know, they would think of themselves as, what religion are you? I think, you know, I'm, I'm Christian. That's what I think about it. Even if they couldn't define what that meant, that was the identity that they had for themselves. And so there's genu- genuine um, acknowledgement of Christianity, but not necessarily understanding of the content of what that faith is. Um, and this is true of people who attend church or don't attend church. I'm not talking about church attendance. I'm talking about when what people think, the way that people think of themselves. And that's true of people who don't attend church as well as people inside the church. So even within the Christian community in the United States, partly because there hasn't been a lot of trouble, a lot of pushback, it has been very easy to sort of be a church-going Christian. And that has led to a faith that is broad. Many people share it, but it is not deep. Not many people really understand or believe the realities of what the faith teaches. Um, There's a theologian named Stanley Hauerwas um, who was at Duke Divinity School, um, and and he uh, said something that has stuck with me um, about this. He said that the greatest risk for the Christian church in the United States Uh, or the greatest obstacle to faith, to genuine faith, is sentimentality. Think about that for a second. Let me explain what I mean. To believe in God because it makes you feel good to believe in something or to be connected to a group of people. So to feel good about Christianity is not the same thing as to have put your faith in Jesus Christ. But for many people, the practicing faith that they experience is, I feel good about my church, or I feel good about my family, or I feel good about the Christian community. I, I, it makes me feel good to think of myself as part of it, but I've never really investigated or understood what that actually means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and to embed that in my life. So again, it's broad but shallow roots. And the problem is that that kind of experiential faith it rests only on the emotions that we feel. And so if you look at the scripture, it says, um, seeds sown on rocky places, they hear the word and at once receive it with joy. So there's a feeling of, yes, this is a good word and I, I love what I'm hearing. And so they experience the feeling of happiness and the faith rests on that experience of feeling. But the problem with that is that if you don't understand what you really believe about God, when that kind of faith is tested in some way, so you no longer are experiencing that feeling of joy. In fact, you might be experiencing pain or you might be experiencing loss in your life because of that faith. When trouble or persecution comes, there's nothing secure for that to rest on because the emotions 
have gone out of the way. What's left behind that's the content of faith? Does that make sense? There's no, so when, when Christians are in that point and we don't have anything solid to, to rest our faith on, we're in trouble when persecution comes. And um, I believe, and many who are studying the culture around us, and this probably won't come as any surprise to you if you've listened to Don much uh, in his Basement Academy and in, other, and in sermons along the way as well, there is and will be increasing trouble for Orthodox Christians. When I say Orthodox, I mean little o Orthodox, meaning Bible-believing, traditional faith Christians. Um, and that won't come just from outside the church. It'll come from within the church as well in the coming years. Because our culture is no longer a majority Christian. And that may be hard for some to hear. But the reality is that... Um, that idea that I talked about for the last couple hundred years that Christianity has been the culturally dominant philosophical belief, that is really no longer the case. I believe, and many believe, secular humanism, um, which is kind of the idea that naturalism and human reason are the foundation for morality and human flourishing. So we as humans are all that is. We're the ones who are reasoning, and we will find our way to kind of make the world the way that we want it to be. That's secular humanism. It's independent of any kind of faith in God or belief. That idea of secular humanism is entrenched in most of the major institutions that are in our culture. If you think about education, if you think about government, if you think about media, uh, if you think about um, what's another major institution. Um, in business, uh, it has now become a dominant philosophical underpinning that there isn't, isn't a God, or if there is a God, it's, he's not involved in anything, and we are kind of all that is. That's the dominant thing in the institutions, and it is trickling down into all of the people, and it will continue to do so over time. So, yeah. So if I can in yeah, please. interrupt for a second. So it reminds me of some interviews I have heard where they refer to your truth. Hmm. Truth is truth, mm -hmm. but it's, well, what is your truth about this? It's not what is your understanding. It's, well, my truth is this, and mm -hmm. your truth could be something else. And so truth is no longer, um, truth is variable. Yeah. That's, that's what the secular humanism is doing. It's throwing out God, and it's throwing out truth, and replacing it with your version of truth. Mm -hmm. Truth is very much self-defined self by you, right? Um, and so because of that, increasingly to be a Christian will become problematic because our truth that we've gained from Scripture and from the Word of God and the Kingdom as Jesus taught it will come into question when it conflicts with somebody else's mm -hmm. truth. Um, so what are some ways that you see um, trouble coming to Christians, either ways that it already has happened or ways that it will happen uh, in the future as this unfolds. Can you think of any well, examples? Well, I'm not expecting at this point <coughs> anyway, you know, machine guns and things like that. Right. But there is a sense of censorship I, mm. I keep seeing because there's no longer a discussion among people. It's a debate, and it's I'm right and you're wrong. And so there's this debate that goes on as opposed to a discussion where help me understand, you know, what you believe and why you believe it or how you came to that, mm -hmm. just to open up a dialogue, but we don't have that anymore. And so if you have a firm 
if you have a conviction or even if you just have an opinion, you're censored because if it doesn't go along with the narrative mm -hmm. of what secular humanism is teaching, then you're censored and, and you're, um, you're labeled something, yeah. something yeah. nasty. Um, an example of a place where, where it is currently challenging right now is the, the Christian ideas around um, morality when it comes to sexual ethics and gender. That is a place where um, you know, the idea of one man and one woman in covenant marriage for life as being the place where sexuality is appropriate and that's the bedrock for where a family is formed and that is the foundational institution for society. That idea itself is no longer considered the norm. And so that's a place where right now many Christians are experiencing that kind of pushback, that you, can no, you cannot claim that sexual ethic as the way that it should be normative for everybody else. It's very much right. sort of a your truth versus yeah. my truth and kind of thing. We saw that at, um, well, it was in the news, so Emmanuel Christian School in Springfield, mm -hmm. because they hold to those truths and values there's sport and they have sports teams the other schools did not want to play them at right. all right. and so they were um chastised yeah sort of excluded way. from excluded. something because totally you hold, hold that because belief. of their values right right so other places where this will increasingly probably uh bump up against christian faith is the value of human life from conception to grave that's another place where there's not broad agreement in the society anymore and so Christians have a view that is sometimes excluded. Um, even something as simple as like the Ten Commandments, um, and, and I'll pick one, uh, lying, the idea that you should not lie or should not steal. Increasingly, my perception is that cheating, if you can get away with it, and telling, not telling the truth, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, is kind of okay. So that sort of internal fortitude that you as a person have to have integrity in the eyes of God, that's removed. And so increasingly, society doesn't hold that same kind of integrity in relationship with other people. It's kind of like if you can get away with it, then go for it. It's not a big deal. It's just, it's between you. It's not between you and God. It's just you, right? Um, and, and another place is increasingly there will be resistance to, and there is resistance to, the idea of outreach or evangelism is another word to describe it. So the Christian conviction that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the desire to share that with other people and invite them to also adopt the Christian faith, that there's this external God who has told us what the truth is and that we are to come to believe and kind of move ourselves to that truth. The idea that you're allowed to do that is increasingly becoming coming in question, that it actually is a moral, the moral imperative is that you not ever share your faith with somebody else or try to get them to believe what you believe, that that in and of itself is an affront to other people. That is, is increasingly becoming a challenge. Um, so all that to say, I think that, our, that the church is going to go through a clarifying time uh, in the coming years. And we as a community at Greenwich and, and the really the, the church throughout the world is going to have to recognize the places where we have rocky soil, where we have not developed an understanding of what we believe and communicated it to other people in such a way that they can also understand it. We, we're, not, we're creating a lot of people who maybe go to church or participate in programs, 
but is the church creating disciples who go deep into the word and really understand and believe so that when that kind of persecution comes, they actually know what they believe and will stand up under that pressure as opposed to falling away. Um, You know, if you know that because of what you believe, you might lose your job or uh, not have the same friends that you had before, people might walk away from you, or possibly even offend and get pushed away from people in your family, when that becomes a reality, it clarifies how important to you faith in Jesus Christ really is, right? And so uh, to, to move ourselves from rocky soil into deeper, more secure soil, it does take effort on the part of the, the person. So, you know, the parable of the four soils can be taken as um, the soils are just what they are. And, you know, if you're rocky soil, well, that's not true. I believe Jesus' desire for his disciples when he was teaching them this was to say, hey, you need to be the good soil. So if, you th- if your faith is shallow, if you ha- haven't really developed the content, then you need to work on that. You need to become more like the good soil. That's um, one of the ways that this parable is meant to be taken, and so that's what we're trying to do these weeks. So um, as we think about what is coming and the challenge that our church faces, what are some ways that we as a community or as individual people, how do you develop deep roots in the faith? How does a person or how does a community understand the, the good news, understand the word of God, apply it to their lives and, and grow that deep-rooted faith. What are some ways you can think of? So I'm guessing that all of us, I wouldn't even say most of us, I'm going to say all of us have opinions about things, especially when it comes to God and the Bible, Christianity, and then we move into more of a feelings about Mm -hmm. it, and then maybe we feel stronger about certain things and its beliefs, but it's moving to convictions Mm -hmm. of what are the things that are absolutes. How do we get to that point? And since we're talking about rocky soil, I am a lousy gardener. I mean, I love a nice garden, but I have no clue what I'm doing. But my neighbor is excellent at it. And another person, Carol Farrell, Mm -hmm. she's a master gardener. So what I do is I I get help. Mm -hmm. I get questions. You know, how do I get, get rid of this brown spot? How do I do this? Help me show me, do it with me. And it's the same thing with deepening, moving from feelings, beliefs, into convictions that we get someone to come alongside of us and help us. Someone who's been walking, you know, the faith for a longer time. So mentoring. And mentoring. Somebody who's going to, who's Definitely. Past, past you in the faith. Past, yes. Who can and bring you along and help you understand. And okay. help us with the disciplines mm-hmm. of not only prayer, but I think about memorizing scripture. And I'm not good at memorizing scripture. And so what I do is um, there's songs Mm -hmm. that I will learn. Um, There's psalms that have been put to music that I learn. Um, Some of the hymns, they're filled with great truths. And that's another way to fill my mind um, with God's word. Mm -hmm. It is, if I cannot do it by, by, words i do it by singing those words Mm. but but it's mentorship it's the disciplines of prayer meditation fasting as appropriate um and memorizing god's word Mm -hmm. and i would i would definitely get a mentor 
Yeah, that's a that's really great advice. So having somebody else that knows you well enough and is 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 a little bit further along that can give you some accountability and direction. I think that's a significant part of it. And that can be found through Bible study or just a spiritual friendship with somebody else. We've talked about that before, of just having somebody in your life who's wise and that can teach the faith. Um, to return to my original analogy of the, of the football team, um, you know, in order for a football player to succeed, you have to get with the program, right? If, if the coach uh, tells you, look, practice is every day from this time, and then when you're not in practice, these are the things you need to do. You've got to lift weights. You've got to run. You've got to uh, understand what the plays are. You've got to study film. There are so many aspects that go into being a great athlete beyond just sort of physical athletic ability. All of those things have to be happening in order for you um, to come. So if you think about what is the practice of if you're being coached in the Christian faith, what is the central practice? It is understanding the word of God. So remember, the seed that is sown is the word. And so if there's one thing that you take away from here um, today is we, if we're going to be ready for the kind of the coming cultural changes that are happening, we as individuals and as a community have got to go deeper into God's word than we are right now. We have to we have to take the, the truths of Scripture, the way that God has taught about who he is and about what he's calling us to do and be, we have to take those things and in, internalize them so that we understand them and then can articulate them to other people as well, whether it's inviting them to the faith or explaining why we believe what we believe. We have got to understand the Word of God. And thankfully, we live in a time and an age where there's actually tremendous opportunity to do that. So, um, there are Bible studies that our church has, that other churches have. There are community Bible studies where you can connect, and connect with other people who are studying the Word of God. Um, if you have not tried or checked out um, Don's daily pastoral study, the Basement Academy, uh, that is a place where nearly daily there's a, a short devotional that will take you deep into Scripture and apply it to the current cultural context of what's going on. Um, we have got to understand the, the basic principles of the faith. So if you want to go back and look, he actually did a series on Theology 101 and Theology 201 and 301 where he did it. We call it in, in nerdy uh, pastor circles, systematic theology. What are the truths of the Bible explained in big categories so that you can understand them? You can go back and read that. Um, uh, or you can watch those videos and learn that way. Um, and then, if you have questions about it, ask the questions. I tell you, if you ask me and Don theological questions, we love theological questions. Love Most that. of the questions that we get are not <laughs> theological questions. So if you don't understand something, ask. We want to go deep with, with those kind of things. Um, and so that's, that's uh, sort of externally or, or academically, we've got to study the Word of God. But then also, if there's one thing that, that over time, throughout the ages in the Christian church has sort of separated, sort of thorny soil from soil that goes deep in the content of faith, it is, it is daily reflection on the scriptures. So finding some way for you to interact with the word of God and in prayer with God every day. And we have resources for that as well. You can find a lot of resources on your own, I imagine, as well. A mentor is a great person to lead you toward those kinds of ideas. But finding a way to, to take the word of God and embed it in your heart and let it grow there 
is the way that the church is going to make it through the ages. And I, I'm not concerned about whether or not the church makes it. I'm actually a little bit excited because the season that we're about to go through is going to clarify and deepen the faith of Christian believers. And I think the good soil is going to bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 times beyond what was originally sown. Amen? Let me pray for us and we'll turn to song once more. Lord God, thank you for your word and the way that it teaches. We pray that as we seek to follow you, that you would help us to understand it and apply it to our lives. And when there is trouble or hardship or persecution because of the word, when um, our faith is called into question, Lord, I pray that your spirit would help us to understand and to believe on an even deeper level, that we might be able to faithfully and winsomely proclaim your word to people around us. Lord, we pray that we would do so in a way that is humble, um, the way that you taught us, uh, that is um, knowledgeable, but not lording it over other people. I pray that people would see in your church um, grace and mercy alongside uh, truth and, and foundation. And so we pray that that would be true of Greenwich as individuals and as a community, and that we would lead the next generation to understand the truth as well. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.